Well, that was awkward, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, good evening. Hey, we've got a couple of things that we want to do before we get into the uh, end of the message tonight. So we're, we're, if you were here last week, you know, we honored uh, Stephanie White as she's transitioning from one ministry to another. And so we've got another couple that we just want to say thank you to tonight and, uh, and then just to honor them as well, which is, is Tim and Lynn Dodd. So if they're here, we're going to invite them to come up here and join us. You can clap for them as they come. So we have some flowers that we're going to give Lynn, and then we've got a card that we're going to give them as well. So, so you know, for, for, Tim, for, for when they first started coming to the church, they've been with us since we were in the movie theater. Anybody here from the movie theater days back when we were at, at Regal Cinema? And, uh, and so they, I remember the day they came to, to visit, because there's a, a story that's too long to tell, but uh, they were looking for a church because of the, their pastor had moved to Richmond, and then I had moved here to the peninsula. And, and, and as the more we talked, the more we realized that the pastor pastor that had left their church to go to Richmond was taking the spot that I had vacated from the church that I had come from. And so we had this big laugh about that. And so, but they were there every week. They, they got involved right away. They were going to life groups and events and, and, uh, and, and membership classes, which we call them Discovering City Life now. A few of them came and went and, and we just, we thought it was interesting that the Dodds didn't go to any of those. We're hoping that this year is going to be their year. No, I'm just kidding. So, and so they came and they said, because they've been to the church for several months, and they said, Pastor, we just want you to know, we've, we've not taken that step yet because when we take that step, it means that we're going to be here for a long time. And we want to know that this is the place that God has called us to. And so I'm telling you that story because it gives me two words that speak to the Dodds. It's loyalty and longevity. Yeah. Loyalty and longevity. And so we are favored of God that they are part of this church. They've been leading our Saturday Life team for years. And so Vanessa's going to be taking that ministry over, and they're going to be taking some time off for some much needed rest, but we are just so grateful that all of the time, all of the weeks that they come early, they've been coming years, week in and week out, uh, making this environment ready for us so that we can have an encounter with God. So Father, we just lift Tim and Lynn up to you today, Father. We thank you for them, God. We, we thank you for the, the witness of Christ that shines so bright inside of them, Father. We thank you for the, the, uh, the sacrifice that they have, they've made year to year. It, it, I think about the verse in Romans where Paul Paul writes, Blesses, blessed are the feet of those that, that bring good news, God. That's who they are, God. They, there, is a, there is a good news that always comes out of them, Father. We thank you for the joy that is in their heart. We thank you for the character of Christ that's so strong within them, God. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Can you just say thank you to them one more time? So good. Love you, brother. Yeah, yeah. See you. Yeah. Can you turn me down just a little bit, Ryan? If you're visiting, my dad passed away in November, so I'm wearing the, the cross that he wore when I was growing up all in January. If you, sir, I'm um, thinking I have some, some strange affinity towards liturgy, right? Although I do, because I was raised in the Episcopal Church, which makes my wife quite nervous, but all right. Hey, so a, a couple of more things, a couple of more things before we jump into the, into the message. The, uh, uh, just to piggyback on part of what uh, Pastor Jamie was talking about, if you're going to go to one of the houses, um, make sure you bring some finger foods with you, right? So if, if you're showing up, it's a family of 14, right? Just, you you want to bring some food with you. It's a, that's a cover dish type experience. So you might be thinking, what am I going to do? Hey, it's going to be 30 degrees outside. Just put it in your trunk. It's going to be okay, right? It's a natural refrigerator out there. So when you're going to those houses, make sure there's going to be some food there, but make sure you're showing up with that. And then also make sure you're showing up on 
time next week, right? I, we're, we're kind of the, we're, we're the, the, the church that starts at five, but, but people really aren't in here until 5.15. That's just part of our flow, much to my frustration. But, so, <laughs> but, but, but next week, you don't want to do that, right? Because we are packing it in. That's our nine-year anniversary service. We're hitting the ground running right out of the gate. And so you, you want to be here early next week. You with me? Track your early so at the at the at five o'clock when the service starts, we want to have a full house so that you don't miss anything. Every part of that service is going to be incredibly intentional. So, hey, I've got one more thing that two more things I want to do. Uh, the the fasting, you know, we're on a, a church fast, and so we're hoping that you've picked something that you're doing. So last week we did the kind of a spontaneous uh, take a picture that about the fast that you're on and, and text it or tweet it or Instagram it to at uh, City Life VA and use the hashtag PF Pastor Fred Contest. And so I just want to let you know who's winning, because lots of you have done that. So I just want to give you an update on where you stand, okay, and the standard that you need to rise to. So I'm, for, for me, my favorite so far is Carrie Shannon's. If you've seen her picture, right? I know. She took a picture of an empty refrigerator, right? It just had a couple of bottles of water in there. It was, it was funny. So, all right, so that's your, that, that she's in first place. There's a $50 gift card to Outback that's, that's, on this, that's at stake here that, we're, that we'll be giving away uh, next weekend. So you want to make sure that, uh, that you're on your, your Instagram game this week. So, okay, one more. One more thing. I want to read this first. I want to talk about it a little bit, and then and we're going to get into the message. Oh, I'm excited for tonight. I hope you're excited. Hope you're hungry, not just because you're fasting. Come on. Hope you're hungry on the inside for something deep. All right, Genesis 38, 27. When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. Some of you are thinking, good God, I hope that's not a prophetic word for me. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out his hand, and the midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing this one came out first. But then he pulled back his hand, and out came his brother. What, the midwife explained. How did you break out first? So she named this child that was born first Perez, which means in the Hebrew, uh, a breaking out. Or, or a breaking forth. And so I'm sharing that with you because Monday, Monday's a special day because we're celebrating the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's a big day for us to reflect. And so I, I hope that you're gonna reflect on that in some way. If you've got young kids, you're gonna talk to them about what that means and about the civil rights movement that, is, that, that, that started really then, but it's really still going on today. And so as I was thinking about it, one of the things that I was moved by is that the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that just happened three years before I was born. I was born in 67. And I was just struck today by the realization that, that my parents, and if you're of my age, if you're older like me, right, our parents grew up in an era where the color of your skin determined what kind of access you had to. It was just 51 years ago. And, and, and I'm talking about that in relation to this text because Dr. King had a Perez anointing that was on his life to help us as a nation to break through some things, to break past some things. And so I hope that we're gonna pray in just a minute. Uh, but part of what we, I wanna do on Monday is I just wanna set aside some moments just even for my own heart to pray that God is gonna continue to 
raise up leaders in this nation. They're going to help us keep breaking through. Father, we pray, Father, right now for leaders, for politicians at the local level, all the way up to the national level, that people are going to be called even today to lead us, that there's going to be a Perez anointing that's on their life, that they're not going to look for a poll to tell them what's right. They're going to know what's right because you've spoken to their heart. And they're going to help us as a nation to continue to break through and to move past, God, the places of brokenness that maybe have defined our yesterday, God. We continue to pray for that dream that he had, that we know that you birthed in his heart, that it would be fully realized, God, in our lifetime. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to get into this message. You might notice I, I changed the title a little bit because when we, when we started down this road, I wanted to teach on fasting. And as I was studying about fasting and putting that together, you know, I, I talked last week how I wanted to create some context. Well, now that context is, often happens with me has now come, become multiple sermons. So I've just taken the word fasting off because we're not even talking about that until February, okay? So, so I felt like I had the lying sermon title last week. The, and so we're going to talk about praxis. That's what we were talking about last week. And I'm going to give a little bit of an intro if you were not here just to catch you up. So we talked about Matthew 16, 27. And this says that for the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. This is referring to when Christ comes back. And so we spent some time talking about this text because so many times people think, because I've made a vow of devotion to Christ, there's no judgment that I'm going to have to endure. That, that, that heaven is promised to me because I made a vow of devotion to Christ. Now we believe that. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you, but that's not the only judgment that the Bible speaks to. The Bible speaks to other judgments, even of Christians. Here, Jesus says it plainly that all people are going to be judged. So, so if we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to us, but once we get there, Jesus is going to ask us some questions. I think that's part of what Matthew 16 is about. He's going, hey, what did you do while you were waiting to get here to be with me? Heaven's promised with you because of the vow of devotion that you made to me, but, but, but let's talk about what you did while you were waiting. And here in this text, he uses this word according to their deeds, which is the Greek word praxis. It's an interesting word because it carries within a connotation of ongoing. And I think what Jesus was saying to us, which we talked last week, was that we're not going to be judged based on the, the exceptions of our lives. We're going to be based on what characterizes our lives. In the same way we were parenting our children, we don't define them by their mistakes. We, we don't define them even maybe by the moment where they did something extraordinary. We're, we're saying what characterizes who they are, and I think that's how Jesus is going to engage us when we get to the end. So we spent some time talking about Matthew 25, 14 through 30, which is the famous parable of the talents, right? He gives one five bags or five bags of talents or silver or whatever translation you're reading. He gave one two and he gave one one. And so we talked about how is this a parable about stewardship? Absolutely it is, but it's about so much more. Because at the end of that parable, when you get to the end, the one who was given one, as you know, buried it in the ground. And when the master came back, he said he described the master in a way that was not true to who he was. And so we talked last week that I think this last servant got into trouble, not because he didn't make any money for the master, but because he mischaracterized who the master was 
in the world. When Jesus left this earth some 2,000 years ago and he said to us, hey, I'm coming back. We're living in this parable. All of us have been given talents. All of us have been given abilities. All of us have been given a calling that we're supposed to now invest to build his kingdom. But the most important thing to Jesus is not so much what we do, but it's who we become. And are we representing him in this life? I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. We joked last week about, you know, how many of us, we grew up in homes where if we would get into trouble, right, our mom would say, uh, you go to your room until your father gets home, right? And then we would, we would sit in our room in fear, right, for that moment when we would hear the car pull into the, into the driveway. And, and what we're saying as a church, we don't want to live our lives as devoted followers of Christ in fear for the day where we face Jesus, right? We, we want to have a sense of expectation. We want to have a sense of excitement. We know we're not going to get it all right. We know that we're going to make mistakes, but what we want to characterize our lives is that we gave ourselves to this work of becoming like Jesus, and we look forward to the day where we get to see him face to face. So we're going to, where, the, where the, the message is kind of turning is where we're going to talk about these four numbers. Now, if you've been tracking with, with us for any amount of time, if you've been with us for a few years, these numbers are not new to you. This is how we describe what it means to be a disciple or to go on a journey of a disciple or what it means to become like Christ. Because if I'm going to stand before Jesus one day, which we all are, and Jesus is going to talk to me about how I lived my life, and if we believe, which I do, what he's looking for is, did we become like him to the degree that we could, then we should be intentional about our efforts to look like him, right? We shouldn't just wake up every day and say, oh, I hope it works out, right? We shouldn't just wake up every day and say, I, you know, I hope I do better, right? There should be something inside of us that says, I want to have a plan. I want to know how to do it. If I'm supposed to look like Jesus, Jesus, if this is what you're demanding of me, how do I go and do it? And, and this is how we talk about that journey. We call it the praxis, the one, the six, the 12, and the 24. I'm going to get, I think, through one and six tonight, and then we're going to do the anniversary service next weekend, and then we'll pick up the 12 and the 24 at the end. All right, you ready? The one. So all the images, you know, all the images have to do with reflection because uh, we introduced that last week in the book of James. It talks about the word of God is like a mirror and we look into it and we see ourselves and the wise person doesn't forget what they saw. All right, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1 Corinthians 11.1, that image there, that's for my good friend Malcolm Jones. The, the, uh, come here, all right, come on. Just a little something for you there, brother. A little something for you. All right. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This verse in 1 Corinthians is one of the most important verses in all the Bible, right? It's, it's Paul writing a letter to the church of Corinth, and the Holy Spirit has inspired him to, to drop this phrase in here, which for us is the one. It's the, it's the ultimate invitation. Depending on what your translation, some say, follow me as I, I follow Christ. This one in the New Living Translation says, you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. And this word imitate in the Greek is this word mimetes, mimetes. And, and it means to imitate, and it's used six times in the New Testament, and it's only ever used in the, in the affirmative. It's only ever used in the positive, right? Because we know that, that, that there's times in our lives where people are imitating someone, pretending to be someone that they're not, and it's not a good thing. 
right? There's another word that the Bible used for that. That's the word for hypocrisy. That, that means to pretend to be someone that you're not. But this word that, that Paul's writing here when he's writing this letter, come on, we believe the Holy Spirit is inspiring him not just with ideas, but with a precision to put language to it that's going to have meaning, that's going to bring understanding for decades until, and centuries until Jesus returns. He's saying, hey, you need to imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now let's look at a couple other examples of where this is used. One is Paul and then one is the writer of Hebrews and we don't know for sure who that is. We're not given that title but let's start with Philippians 3.17. Dear brothers and sisters, here it comes, pattern your lives. In the Greek that's that word mimites. Pattern your lives and learn from those who follow our example. Now it's plural there, so if you do a word search, you're going to find that it has the prefix S-U-M in front of it, but that's just because it's made it plural. All right, Hebrews 6.12, Hebrews 6.12, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example, there it is again, follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and because of their endurance. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand as he's inspiring these people that are giving us the the Bible that there should be an intentionality that we are bringing to our lives. That, That as devoted followers of Christ, there should be people that we're looking for who are a little bit farther along in the journey that we are so we can learn from their example. There there must be people that we surround ourselves by who we can say, hey, they have a trustworthy example of what it means to be like Jesus. In fact, I I believe that we will not thrive in our hope of imitating Jesus without community. I think 1 Corinthians 11.1 assumes our lives are immersed among the lives of other practice-minded people. Let me read that again. That that 1 Corinthians 11.1 assumes that our lives are immersed among the lives of other practice-minded people. Paul had no concept of Christianity that existed in isolation. He had no concept for that. There's a natural assumption as you study the epistles that Paul gives us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that people are in community. And I think part of the reason for that is that Paul is saying, you will never make it as far in your journey of praxis as you're supposed to without other people around you. And not only do you need to have people in front of you, but on your journey, there should be people that are looking to your example that you're inspiring. No matter where you are on your journey of Christ, there should be people in front of you that you're following and people behind you that can look into your life and be inspired by who you are. Even if you made a vow of devotion to to Christ tonight for the very first time and you become a part of the family of God, we'd like to say here that you take your first spiritual breath, just that story alone that you would share with others puts you in a place where you can inspire someone else. That, that, that this idea that Paul is saying is that, hey, when you look around your life, are there people around you that you can trust to follow, and that there are people behind you that are inspired by you? This is part of the praxis experience. The invitation that is given to us is not just to be like Jesus, but how we're supposed to go about doing it, and we're supposed to go about doing it immersed in community. If I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. 
Now, I'm not saying every day of your life for the rest of your life that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna think about this, right? But, but, but it should be something that I would say is maybe in your week. Just in your week at some point, there should be some moment of reflection where you stop and ask yourself the question, how am I doing with the praxis? How, how, how am I doing with this journey of being like Jesus? Next, not next week, but the week after that, when we get into the 12 and the 24, the 12, or the, our 12 pathways, we're going to get into some of the specifics of, of things that you can do. But we start here, because if you don't understand the motivation behind it, then all of a sudden, a lot of the things that are, that are spiritual disciplines, they just become things that we're checking off a list to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Especially if you're a task-oriented person, if you're a type A personality, right? Then all of a sudden, the Christian experience can just be meeting goals and checking off boxes, but no, come on, there is a life that we're supposed to live, and it's supposed to birth something inside of us, and if we don't have the one, then it doesn't put the 6, the 12, and the 24 in the right perspective. Come on, there is a day that is waiting for us, where we're going to stand before Jesus. Heaven is promised to us through grace and grace alone, but once we get there, when he asks us the question, how did you do with the life that you lived while you were waiting to come and begin eternity with me? Come on, we want to be ready to have that conversation. And he says to you and he says to me, imitate me, imitate me. All right, the six, you ready for the six? All right, we're going to dig a little deeper here. You ready to dig a little deeper? All right, how many people grew up going to vacation Bible school? Yeah, come on, let me see those hands. I know, come on. All right, what are, so we, like, we like participatory moments here at, at City Life. What, are, what were some of your favorite songs? What were some of your favorite songs? Vacation Bible school. Anybody? Deep and wide. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to sing it, so don't get nervous. Father Abraham. Father Abraham, that's right. Come on, right? And then, and then we would go home and sing that for hours, our parents, right? What, somebody else, did I see a hand over here? Hannah? What was that one? Salty the songbook. You're younger than I am. They didn't have that one. Somebody else. Did I see a hand over here, Tyler? This little light of mine. Come on. That was my favorite. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack, right? Just, I felt so just bad singing that song. Somebody else? Jesus loves me. Come on. You guys are doing good. Who else? Somebody else. What about this side over here? Any other vacation Bible school songs? No? Tara? You guys had better songs than my generation, right? If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit. That's all we had, Tara. He can sit on attack. We didn't have the Pharaoh song. Somebody stand in the back. Jacob's Ladder. Somebody else. Anybody in here? No? I can't see because the lights are out. The be- oh, come on. That was a good one, right? I know some of you are, right? You're going to be humming these songs for the rest of the night. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I know. Uh, you know, all of those songs, the flannel stories, the, the crafts, all of those things. Can, can we just push the pause button too? I hope you didn't have the same lady making your Kool-Aid that was making my Kool-Aid at Vacation Bible School, right? <laughs> or lemonade, right? It's not supposed to be lemon-flavored water. It's supposed to be lemonade. Don't, don't be skimping on the children, right? Put, dump that whole thing in there. Good Lord, lady. I remember coming home going, I hope somebody else is making the lemonade tomorrow. That was terrible. I think it might have been my Aunt Mary, actually. So we were, we were uh, w- with her recently, and we made a pot of coffee. And, and, uh, and so we had a little five-cup thing at my mom's house. And, and so for me, if it's a five-cupper, that's six nice rounded tablespoons, you know, that go in there. And so when we, when we were serving it to, to Aunt Mary and her, her daughter Linda, we were telling me, you know, it might be stronger than you like. It's a little five-cupper. How, how, how many tablespoons do you put in there? They said maybe two, maybe two. 
I said, were, were you at the vacation Bible school that I grew up in? Were you portioning out? Portioning out? So, all right, all right, back to our regularly scheduled program. So, so part of, you know, this idea of going to vacation Bible school is that, is that they're teaching us about Jesus, they're, right? They're, we, we want our kids at our early age. That's part of what we're doing with the kids that are dis, dismissed here. They're just not going to playtime. They're, they're going to, for a foundation to be birthed inside a friend for who is Jesus. And so I was just thinking about some of the ones that, that, uh, that I learned when, when I was younger. He's my healer. He's my friend. He's my defender. He's my shepherd, teacher, and consoler. He's my intercessor, my mediator and savior and servant. He's the light of the world. He's my way. He's my source. And I think we could keep going. That's not an exhaustive list. But, but as I was making that list, I left one out on purpose because it's the one that I didn't like. See, I like the idea of Jesus being my friend. I like the idea of him being my consoler. I like the idea of him being my intercessor and mediator and my savior, but, but the one that I don't have up there that's on the next slide, the one that I did not like, I did not like the idea of him being my master. See, this idea of belonging to someone, in society, it's despicable, but in our spirituality, it's essential. Until I get a revelation that I belong to him, little is going to change in my life. For the first 23 years of my life, I liked the idea of Jesus getting me into heaven. I didn't like the idea of him telling me what to do while I was waiting. I was thinking about, you know, that I hope you do this at times in, in your life, that maybe you're in a drive through somewhere at Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or whatever drive through that you're in, and maybe just in a moment of generosity, as long as it doesn't look like it's a minivan with 14 people in it, right? But, but just with, with the vehicle behind you, that you get up to the window and say, I want to pay their check, right? I, I want to I pay their, their bill, because then you know that you get up there, and, and then there's just this, this, this sense of joy, a sense of joy. And, and, and some of you, and for me, for the first 23 years of my life, that's my relationship with Jesus. I like the idea that he paid the price for my sin, but I just wanted to go my separate ways after that, after that transaction was over. Right? I, 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 wanted, I, I wanted this idea of Jesus paying the price for my sins so I could go to heaven. But, but beyond that, I, just, I wanted to enjoy the gift of his grace, but I did not want the demand that I knew he wanted to bring to my life as my, as my master. And, and, and when I began to take seriously this idea that I'm going to be judged by Jesus, when I begin to take seriously this idea that I'm going to have to stand before him and, and give an account for my life, there should be something inside of me that says, if I'm going to look like Jesus, I want to know what he expects of me. I want to know what he taught. I want to know what he said. I want to know what he demands. I want to know how he wants me to live. There's this idea, right, in that parable in Matthew 25 when, when the master was giving out the, the different bags of the talents or the money to, to the servants. There was the, there's the some understood in the reading of that that there were instructions that were given. What, what's the instruction that Jesus is giving to me? And I believe that he has six commands, six commands, and we're going to walk through all six of those briefly tonight, that these six form the foundation of all of Christian teaching, that all of Christianity can trace itself back to these six basic, the nucleus commands of Jesus, that if I am going to accept the one, which is the invitation to be like Jesus, to imitate Jesus, if, I, if I'm going to accept the one, I've got to be willing to embrace the six. All right, the first one is this, 
It's in John 1.43. John 1.43. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Come and follow me. Everything about this journey of imitating Christ begins with a vow of devotion to Christ. It starts with, with me saying, my life is incomplete without you being my master. I need to belong to you. I need to be owned by you. I need to have a sense of deference in my heart that says, Jesus, I want to only and ever say yes to you in every sense and in every way. J- Jesus is set apart from any other spiritual leader that's ever walked on this earth because when he walked on this earth, it wasn't the beginning of his existence. It's the pre-existence of Christ that sets him apart. Every other religion that's in the world, every other religion that's ever been founded, they were founded by people just like you and me. They breathed their first breath in, in, this, in the existence of this world when they were born, when they broke forth from their mother's womb. But Jesus, come on, he lived in heaven before he came to earth. It sets him apart. And I like to say that if I want to know how to get to heaven, I want to get my directions from someone who's been there, Right? He knows how to get there because that's where he came from and that's where he's gone back to when he raised himself from the dead as he's preparing the new heaven and the new earth. This journey of my spirituality begins with devotion to Christ and to Christ alone. The second command that I believe that Jesus gives that defines this journey of being a disciple of Jesus is intimacy with God. Mark 12, 30, right? So somebody comes to Jesus. This is like the last week of his life. Jesus had a ministry for about three years, and during this final week is when someone comes to him and says, hey, what are the two greatest commandments? And this is the first one he gives, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This kind of love is a a love that is filled with decision, but it's also filled with emotion. Sometimes there's a phrase that, that sometimes works its way through the church and sometimes it gains more popularity than others, but there's that whole idea of love is a decision. Maybe people have said that to you. It, it is a decision, but if that's the only love that you have, I'm telling you, that's a pretty empty love, right? Because the idea of love as a decision is a huge part of love, but the, the, especially in marriage, hey, the Song of Solomon's in the Bible too. There, there's a lot of feeling. There's, there's a lot of passion that's supposed to be. Love to be complete is about character. It, it, it is about a decision, but it's also about deeply feeling. I think God says to us, I want you to feel deeply for me. He, he wants our love for him to be one of character and one of strength and one of determination, but I think he also wants something to stir inside of us when we think of being his child you, because that's how he feels towards us. When you read that book, the Bible, from the beginning to the end, God is about decision, he's about character, but he's also about passion for you as your father. Intimacy with God, I like to say I want to wake up every day with a sense of knowing God as my best and closest friend. All right, the next one, care care of others. Devotion to Christ, intimacy with God, the care of others, the care of others, all right, now I'm going to jump to 1333, and again, if you've been a part of the church in any amount of time, we've explained this before, but, but, but in, in, in the first interaction, right, he, he says, what's the greatest commandment? And, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? 
All right, so just a few days later, this is part of uh, having an understanding of the chronological context of the Bible. When did it happen? So just a few days later, he says to his disciples, listen, John 13, 33, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me. All right, that's not the right verse. Okay, it's supposed to be Mark. Okay, all right, I'm reading out of the wrong notes there. All right, so, so this is what he says, but I know it. All right, I know it. So, so, so this is what he says. He says, a new command, a new command I give to you that you would love others the way that I have loved you. Now, now, when he said to them, a new command I give to you, the disciples, that would have piqued their interest because they were just with him a few days before where he gave the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So then a few days later, he has the disciples, and he says, hey, I'm going to change the second one. I'm going to give you a new commandment. I don't want you to just love people the way that you love yourself, Right? Because then all of a sudden the love that's turned loose into the world is based on the capacity that you have to love yourself and sometimes our ability to love ourselves is very low. So what he says is, hey, we're gonna change the second one because if you're in my family, the standard of loving others is based on how I have loved you and that's a whole different kind of love. And so the one that we reach to as a church for this idea of caring for others and loving for others, we're saying the way that I want to love this person is based on not what they deserve, not how much I love myself, but the way that I love this person is based on the kind of love that I get from Jesus. You know, sometimes it's easy to love people, and then just come on, we can be honest, sometimes it is not. It is not easy to love people. And usually the people that it's not easy to love them, it's a combination of issues with their life, but it's also because we've got issues in our own lives, right? And so when I begin to say to myself, self, we're going to love Bob the way Jesus has loved me. Doesn't make it easy. It does not make it easy, but it makes it possible. Because when you begin to realize how unlovable you are and how unlovable I am, and we're awfully glad that Jesus hasn't given up on us. And then he says to you and he says to me, go do that to the rest of the world. It's the standard that we live by. Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5, 48. This, this one is in the King James because sometimes verses just sound better in the King James, don't they? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We call this an appetite for growth. See, see this isn't so much a call to perfection because that's impossible. It's a call to not stay where you are. There's a, a phrase that years ago kind of birthed itself organically in the church where people began to ask themselves, what's your M548 priority? See, I'm never going to reach perfection, but five years from now, can I just say, I want to I be closer than I am today. I, I want to move forward. I, I want to move forward in my life. This is part of this conversation that we often have as a church. If my only understanding of grace is the grace that allows me to go to heaven because Jesus died for me, then I can get a false sense of permission that nothing else matters. That's why verses like Matthew 16 are in the Bible. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. It matters. 
It matters that you're going to be in heaven and not hell for an eternity, but it also matters what you're going to do while you're waiting. And part of this journey of waiting is to have an appetite, is to be hungry. This is part of what fasting is about, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks. It's making sure that you've got the right kind of appetites in your life. Our lives are filled with all kinds of the wrong appetites, Krispy Kreme donuts. They're wonderful, right? But I can't live off of those things. For, for some of you, you have appetite for things that are beyond food that are not good for your life. So part of this journey is us saying, God, I want to be hungry for the right things and not for the wrong things. I'm never going to be perfect, but come on, let's get closer than we are today. All right, Mark 16, 15. Now I'm all nervous that these are, come on. All right, this one's right. Then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. You also find the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. But here in Mark 16 is another example where where both Mark and Matthew were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us different accounts of what was heard. And so here we call it the Great Commission. And we like to rephrase that as being diligent in mission. You You have a job that you've been given. You're unlike any other person that walks on this earth, right? There, there, are, there are things that God has put inside of you, abilities that he's given you. We're going to talk more about this at our, at our anniversary service when we're casting our, what we're calling our 2020 vision uh, next, next weekend. That this, this idea that you are special and that you are unique, and, you, and if you withhold that from the body of Christ, that, that, that it's, there's, there's a space that's missing. That this idea of being diligent in mission is, is living with this, this constant question of, God, what do you want me to do? You see, the being is more important to God, but there's still a doing that must be done. There, there is a being, and what I would argue, if you're not doing the things that need to be done, you're probably not becoming the person that you're supposed to be. Because that one's dependent upon, upon this one. And if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to faith, that's part of being in a church family too, is that you are, are around other practice-minded people and you begin to ask this question and you begin to talk about it with others. I, I want to figure out what God is calling me to. This idea of the Great Commission, it's not just something that's given to all people, it's given to every person. It's unique, it's personal, and he has a call that he wants you to have a revelation of. All right, Acts 1.8. I like this one. This is a unique command, and I, and I like that this one's last. It even happens last in the text as you get into the beginning of, of the book of Acts, the story of the birthing of the church. This is, is, is recounting back as Luke, as Luke is the person that gives us Acts, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he writes the gospel of Luke, and then it's kind of a, a two-parter. So if you're going to read Luke, then you can, this is good too for people that are made a, a, a new decision for Christ to start him in Luke and then have him read Acts because they kind of flow together. Acts 1.8 says, this is Jesus talking, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now you might say, well Fred, I don't know if that's much of a command as much as it is, as it is a promise, but, but, in, but in the Greek it's a very unique kind of command and if you are a parent, you understand this part of language, right? Oh, you will clean your room today right? You, want, you understand the nature of that command, right? Oh, oh, you will, you will finish raking those leaves before you go out with your friends, 
right? I mean, you, some of you right now, you're just, you're reverting back to, right, to your childhood, and you're, 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 you're a little bit afraid already because there's this, uh, like an authority figure standing over you, giving you a command. They, they, it sounds a little bit like a problem, but, it, but it's a command. When Jesus says, you will receive, right, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's, he's not just giving them a promise. In the way that it was written in the original language in the manuscript, this is Jesus standing in front of us and saying, oh, you, you need this in your life. You cannot do this by yourself. There, there must be a supernatural empowerment that you rely on or you will never get as far as you're supposed to go. Now, can you get farther? Sure you can. Through the sheer act of your will and through sheer determination, you can make some progress, but he's not just interested in some progress. He's interested in the progress that you've been destined to get. He's interested in the progress that he created you to get, and you cannot do that. You cannot do that without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. There are some things that we can stop doing because we just know that they're wrong, right? And we can wake up and say, I'm just not going to do that anymore. But sometimes there's things that have a stronghold in our life. Sometimes there's a, there's a spiritual component, and, and, and you can try for the rest of your life and not ever be fully free, right? We want to be a church that gives you a vision to be fully free, to be fully free. The, the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in these mortal bodies. It's at work in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's in here. It is in here. And I want to have a life that is dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit in me. In me. These are his six great commands. I believe it. I believe with all my heart that everything else that he taught finds their way back to one of these Six, where he says, follow me, love God, love one another, right? That he talks about be perfect, go into all the world and be filled with the Spirit. And again, we restate those as devotion to Christ, intimacy with God, the care of others, an appetite for growth, diligence and mission, and equipped by the Holy Spirit because people can understand now what those commands mean. Jesus stands in front of you and he stands in front of me and he says, I'm gonna come back one day. And if you're of the generation where I come back, then there's gonna be a conversation that we have. If you come to be with me before I'm ready to come back, there's a conversation that we're going to have. It's the Matthew 16 conversation. It's the conversation about our praxis. It's our deeds. It's what characterized our lives. And did the thing that characterized us more than anything else that we wanted to be like him. See, all of our lives are going to look so different in so many different ways. But everybody that makes a vow of devotion, this one, it is the same for all of us. He says, look like me in this world while you're waiting for me to come. If I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to go back to this verse in Genesis. We're going to pick our, up our conversation with the, with, with the praxis again uh, at the end of the month. I want to go back to this, this, this verse in, in, in Genesis because I, I believe also that there's, it, I, I think it helps us understand and celebrate again the, the, uh, the, the life of Dr. King, but I think there's something else in here uh, for, for, for some of you here. It says, while she was in labor, one of the babies reached out his hand, and the midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around this child's wrist, announcing this one came out first, but then he pulled back his hand, and out came his brother. What the midwife ex exclaimed, how do you break out first? 
So he was named Perez. You know, this, this is part of the beauty of the Bible. There's just layers of truth, right? There's just layer upon layer upon layer. And we've been talking about that as we're beginning a new plan. I hope that you're jumping in with us to read through the Bible in the year. You can get it on many different websites. We're doing what's called the beginning one, where you start at Genesis and go to Revelation. Don't feel like you've, if you've not done that, just, just start with tomorrow. You track with it. Don't feel like you've got you've to catch up because then you'll end up giving up. Just start, just start with tomorrow. But, and when you get to portions of Scripture that you think that you already know, read them anyways because there's layers of truth. There's more that God wants to show you. So I think this text is a great way for us to celebrate the, the, the life of Dr. King, but it's also about this idea of finding what I'm going to call a Perez place of prayer. There's some things that you're only going to break through on your knees. There's, there's some things that you're only going to be able to push past, the things that are trying to get ahead of you in life. Maybe, again, it's a pattern. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe, maybe, it's, it's, maybe it's people that are around you that are trying to pull you back. Maybe it's a memory from your past where you've been hurt or harmed that is just always trying to stay in front of you. Come on. We can push past those things. It's a Perez place of prayer that we find where we just labor in that place of prayer and we just we push past, we break through. We break through. As I'm just telling you, if you're wrestling with something tonight, if you're, if you're wrestling with something tonight, just like last week, we're going to open up these altars. We're not going to linger in this moment long. I think we've got one song that we're going to do. But I'm telling you, if you're wrestling with something, you come find a place at this altar. Find your Perez place of prayer. And then you take it with you when you leave here and begin to live your life on your knees, facing whatever it is that you're trying to battle so that you can push past so that you can break through. Stand with me as we worship. You ready? 